0: Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney along with my co host, Lisa Abramowitz.
1: Each day we bring you the most noteworthy and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor.
0: Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as at Bloomberg.com. A piece of news that really shocked not just the sports world, but I think the market in general was the NBA coming out and suspending their season until further notice really came out of nowhere to get a sense of what that means for everybody involved we welcome scott Soshnick, sports business reporter uh for bloomberg news joining us here on our bloomberg interactive broker studio so scott really kind of shocking piece of news by the nba what are the ramifications oh boy shocking in that it happened but
2: in where we were headed and the news that we were looking at not really shocking at all because you had the nuclear scenario of a player testing positive for Corona, what are they to do? That player and his teammates must be isolated. That player had faced six teams in that incubation period. They have to be isolated. You just cannot play. The referees have to be isolated. You don't have enough players to go around or teams anymore. You had no choice but to suspend the season.
1: Can you give us some color on that one player who made fun of this whole thing and went around touching all the microphones? Well, that, that's
2: the guy who tested positive, yeah. Rudy I mean, Gobert. So- I'm not sure he was making fun as much. He was he. I believe from the folks I've read and talked to in the in, in uh, Salt Lake City that it was a bit of solidarity with the reporters saying this is not a solution to the problem that you guys are six to eight feet away from okay. us. And they were worried about, by the way, the reporters giving it to the players and Hold not on the a other second. way around.
1: Solidarity, okay, at the same time with hindsight... It seems seriously irresponsible. Absolutely
2: insane that he went around and touched every, absolutely. And and I'm wondering,
1: you know, is there going to be some sort of penalty or something? I'm just throwing this out there because I read this and I'm just thinking from a social responsibility standpoint. My
2: my guess would be no, no, there will be no penalty. But the ramifications, we don't know yet. As you know, Paul, the NBA's backbone is the billion dollar TV contracts. That's Turner and ESPN. Um, There are force majeure clauses in the, in the, in the labor contract with the players by the way inserted after 9 11 so you've got things like earthquakes terrorism specifically inserted at that time epidemics so you would think uh the labor contract calls for a forfeiture on the players for every game one ninety second point six of their salary accounting for regular season uh, preseason and the average of postseason games so we, we did the math lebron james for instance loses four hundred and four thousand dollars per game not played
0: how long is this going to last is there any speculation from the nba office or owners or anything like that
2: Uh, mark cuban is the one who speculated the most saying we could be looking at the nba into august Uh, the most valuable from a tv perspective from a ticket perspective the most valuable time of year for the sports leagues especially the nba is the playoffs you don't want to lose your playoffs if you can nick six to eight weeks and come back in stage of playoffs, perhaps with the current standings, that would be best case scenario.
1: How well do you play basketball?
2: Not that well.
1: All right. So <laughs> we, can't, we can't count on just watching you. Scott Soschnick Scott is Bloomberg Sports Columnist.
0: markets continue to sell off uh, in a big way, off 7% across the board. We did have that uh, circuit breaker triggered earlier this morning. We are now trading again. One area I want to spend a few minutes on, Lisa and I, where we really like to focus on crude oil, and it continues a freefall here. West, West Texas Intermediate Crude down 6% today to about $31 a barrel, uh, really on that $30 barrel kind of a support level right there, Uh, obviously a big issues in global supply demand concerns. So let's dig into that for a few minutes here. Wells Fitzpatrick, he's a managing director for E&P Research at SunTrust Robinson Humphrey. He joins us on the phone from Houston, Texas. So Wells, I mean, clearly there's a demand issue out there. We've seen that brewing in the coronavirus really putting a point on it. But, in the last week, we've also gotten a supply shock here, and we've had a, you know a week or so to here to kind of digest what's going on between Saudi Arabia and Russia. I want to get your informed opinion about what do you think Saudis and the Russians are actually thinking here?
3: Yeah, it's clearly a game of, of brinksmanship, and saudi is is uh, putting all the cards on the table to make it a credible uh move for them to go up north of 12 million barrels a day obviously they've they've contracted a fleet of tankers um, you know they've they they've lowered their selling prices so they you know they are trying to gut check Russia um you know it's it's a game of chicken at this point i mean the fact is is that saudi and the gulf increasing production by you know well over 2 million barrels means that they're selling out of storage so Is it a long-term strategy? I I don't know. I mean, swapping your storage for Chinese storage at less than $30 $30 a barrel doesn't seem like it. Uh, But but clearly at this point, it's a game of chicken, and specifically a game of chicken between uh, two men, MBS and, and Putin.
1: Right now, I'm looking at the shale patch in particular, high yield debt of the energy companies in the United States. I'm trying to understand uh, how deep the pain is going to go. I'm looking right now at the market value of high yield junk, uh, of, of energy junk bonds. It's fallen by $50 billion since the beginning of this year.
3: Yeah, it's been it's been brutal. Um, it's been brutal, and and you know the market caps are, are something similar. Uh, you know, all the traditional avenues for uh, financing for the industry have have essentially been shut off. I mean, A and d was down uh, over forty percent. Uh, in in 4Q before we really hit the skids. Uh, High yield, as you said, yield the worst is more than double. The bank revolvers are going to be down in the upcoming revolver uh, redetermination season. And, you know, uh, no one's talking about issuing equities. So if you have uh, uh, near-term debt maturities, um, it's really something that you have to pay out of cash flow or out of some sort of fire sale. So, the companies that we're most cautious on are the ones with near-term debt maturities and the ones that are largely drawn on their bank lines, because obviously those bank lines are going to come down. So, if if you have 70% out, Um, you know, it's reasonable to expect that you would be uh, 100% or even overdrawn uh, at the end of this spring redetermination
1: season. Just to give a sense of the scope of the pain, what proportion of the shale producers, uh, whether in the Permian Basin or elsewhere in the United States, what percentage do you think uh, will run into solvency issues and have to either restructure or declare bankruptcy?
3: yeah no, that that's a great question um you know i think that I think that there's a there's a very reasonable case if this continues for a couple more quarters that we that we challenge the i don't want to even call it a record but the previous record of of uh thirty four uh e m p bankruptcies in a quarter and that was second quarter of two thousand and sixteen um you know it could it get that brutal again uh, yeah, if they go through with this, with this uh, price war, and, and oil stays in in the low 30s or even dips into the 20s, it gets pretty bad pretty quick for a lot of these folks. Um, another perhaps underappreciated aspect is a lot of these companies had three-way hedges, so you know you sell another put to get a little bit more upside, uh, and it's so far out of the money that two months ago we didn't really think about them. But, you know, now you have to build all those into your model, and 25% of these companies have them, uh, and, it, it, and it limits the downside pr- protection. It essentially it limits your insurance. So there's a lot of moving parts, um, and frankly, not a lot of them are good, except for maybe, maybe the gas side.
0: So, Wells, when are we going to see some of the majors come in here and just scoop up and buy some quality assets at uh, really discounted prices?
3: You know, that's a great question. I mean, I think that they are in in full, uh, uh, full defense of their, uh, their distributions. Um, I mean, it's going to be hard for the big guys, even Exxon to, to, to defend their dividends, uh, with, with $30 WTI. Maybe, maybe they can do stock deals for some of these companies come in and rescue them. But, um, you know, to, to, to your earlier point, uh, if a company's debt is trading at thirty cents on the dollar, do you really want to go in and buy them out and and make those bondholders whole um, when when you know that value might not be there? so when when bonds get this low, I think it actually freezes up the a and D market a little bit more than the valuation should in theory help.
1: Wells, thank you so much for being with us. Wells Fitzpatrick, Managing Director of NP Research at SunTrust Robinson Humphrey. there is a question just to go back to this, uh, this sort of idea that the bear market is signaling an over 80% chance of recession. Luckily, uh, we have someone who can kind of weigh in on what to expect in a potential downturn in a recession this time around given the lead up. Robert Lawrence, we're so glad to have. He is professor of international trade and investment at Harvard Kennedy School, former economic advisor to President Clinton with decades of experience uh, throughout watching the economy. I'm trying to get your sense of where we are. People say that we had a lot of momentum in the United States heading into this coronavirus induced slowdown. Do you agree with that? Let's start there.
4: Well, I think we we did have momentum, but I think it's come to a halt. I think the the, all of the movement is obviously in the opposite direction. I think not only is the stock market signaling immense uh, trouble lies ahead. Um, But in a sense, the big issue is, uh, is there enough liquidity in the system currently? Uh, The big banks look like they're in good shape, but the question is, are they going to be lending to many other companies who have cash flow issues? Um, uh, Ironically, I think, because we're fighting the last war where uh, there was a lot of credit risk, uh, the current issues, uh, that, that may have made them more prudent, Uh, But in a sense, that's simply shifting some of the problems onto those who are uh, much less, uh, much more liquidity constrained.
0: So, Robert, what do you think the administration needs to do here, the U.S. government needs to do here, uh, aside from what we're already seeing from the Federal Reserve, in order to combat this coronavirus and mitigate its economic impacts?
4: Well, I think certainly it has to be fiscal policy. Uh, uh, First, I think uh, the administration uh, has to um, give the public a sense it knows what it's doing. Um, The idea of um, prematurely going uh, public uh, with uh, programs that weren't fully conceived, I I think, was extremely uh, uh, undermining of confidence. Uh, Secondly, I think we need uh, across-the-board fiscal stimulus, um, you know, with, nu- with numerous dimensions, uh, helping uh, people. I- I'm less impressed uh, with the idea of uh, dealing with payroll uh, taxes, uh, but I think um, we need, a, we need a, 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 a whole host of issues uh, focused on problems that people are now going to face in uh, those who are out of work, Um, uh, extending unemployment insurance, uh, helping, uh, by the way, um, with um, medical testing. It's very striking. We just heard about um, Tom Hanks uh, in Australia where uh, tests are available for free. I think uh, um, that should be true in the United States as well. Um, So I think um, um, health-related dimensions in all respects should be focused on and 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 fiscal stimulus should be used um in order to Uh, to do that.
1: The focus increasingly on fiscal stimulus. Meanwhile, central banks are throwing what they can at the problem, or they're throwing some things they can at the problem. Federal Reserve cutting rates by an emergency 50 basis points. They're expected to cut rates by another 100 basis points based on Fed funds futures next week. Meanwhile, the ECB today we got out uh, something that was highly disappointing for markets with now the European stock markets tumbling the most on record. Is this the year the central bank put died?
4: maybe <laughs> i i mean uh, you know uh, it, it, quite frankly uh they they appeared cheap uh not moving down an expected uh, ten basis points uh a rather small move in by any measure um, really deeply disappointed the markets uh, so what we what we've seen is is a host of measures by policymakers where the markets have have uh, viewed these as ina- inadequate and and that 's a striking contrast to uh, uh, you know um, what um, uh, Mario Draghi did, where he uh, made it very uh, evident that he would do whatever it would take uh, in order to change the situation and i think that 's what the central banks and and particularly as we 've indicated the fiscal authorities need to be doing
0: so professor if this coronavirus spread you know, mirrors somewhat like what happened in China, what do you think the economic impact will be on the U.S.? Does that almost guarantee a recession?
4: Well, you know, um, what's very striking is that today China uh, doesn't look in bad shape. Um, uh, so, uh, and that's because I, I think after Wuhan, they took very decisive action. And it's very interesting if you eyeball what's happened to stock markets around the world, you'll see the one that's the most stable is actually the Chinese. So, um, so I think the real problem is we, if we don't mirror what happened in China, uh, where after the Wuhan debacle, uh, they took very, very decisive action. And I think um, it's not too late, uh, but um, uh, social distancing... Uh, as a matter of uh, overt public policy, uh, is essential. And so uh, we actually have numerous examples in Asia now where countries have been able to uh, stem the acceleration. And I think that's the key. If we fail to do that, then I think a, a recession is almost inevitable.
1: So do you think, uh, Professor, this is actually a really compelling point here, that China will emerge stronger or actually uh, be the, the fastest to recover economically just in general, uh, despite the fact that they're still kind of affected by the slowdown globally of commerce and, and, and growth?
4: I, I, think, I think that is right. I, I think uh, it's ironic you know they'll lose a point or two um, from their from the expected growth rate. You know, so so from our standpoint, we'd love to have their growth rate of say it'll be four percent instead of six. But um, uh, the fact is that they have taken very very decisive coordinated action, and uh, what's very striking is if you look at what's happening to infection rates outside of Wuhan. Um, and, and they 've seemed to have flattened out so um, so I think um, it could turn out and and certainly this is what the chinese are already saying that their centralized system has great advantages uh, we couldn't have had a you know a, a stronger demonstration of the failures of our health system uh, we have a we have a right. we have a we have a health system that is basically essentially designed to as if all um, um, right. health problems are private.
0: Right. Robert Lawrence, professor of trade and investment at the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University, is also a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. Uh, we appreciate you for coming on and sharing your thoughts here on the coronavirus and the potential uh, economic impact.
1: keep quoting the stock markets today because the swoons are remarkable. That said, the focus of what's going on right now very much is in credit, is in solvency, it is in cash flow, it is do companies have enough money on hand and can they get it quickly enough to stay in business even if people stop coming at their doors and doing business and giving them money because of the social distancing and other measures due to the coronavirus. Joining us here is someone who's been covering this very closely, broken a lot of really important, news on this matter. Sridhar Nadarajan, finance reporter for Bloomberg News, joining us here in our interactive broker studios. three. I want to get started with this concept of drawing down credit lines, that companies basically have these revolving lines of credits at, credit at banks, and they have been prophylactically drawing the entirety down so that they can have cash in their balance sheet. So what do we know so far?
5: Well, so let's start with what are revolvers? Essentially, they're credit cards for companies, right? You, You draw on them periodically, you pay them down, when things are going fine. You need it for uh, some specific reason or the other. Use it. Pay back the banks. Everything's good. These are these are essentially relationship loans. Banks don't expect companies to be tapping them. It's basically saying, hey, here's a rainy day fund for you. If you need it, you can use it when you want. But the expectation is never that on mass everyone will come for it. That seems to have changed in the last few weeks, or at least the sentiment about how to treat these revolvers has changed in the last few weeks. Yesterday, we had news leaking out one of after the other, you had Boeing willing to tap down its entire $14 billion loan, Win Hilton, Blackstone and Carlyle, two big private equity shops urging some of their companies, Blackstone especially those companies that are in the uh, virus hit sectors, urging them to go out there and draw down their credit lines. Now that seems like a prudent move, that seems like a smart move, but at the same time you have to wonder if that accelerates, if that spreads to other companies and to other sectors, how does it affect banks which then suddenly have a lot of exposure to companies that seem to be in a lot of pain right now? Again, if everything were to turn around today, and we're magically stop going down, we're okay. If it deteriorates, then you have to worry about the second order effects. So are the banks here, do they, I guess the question is, do they have,
0: to, if, if somebody comes in and draws down their credit line or, or borrows off of their facility, the banks can't say no, can they?
5: I guess the rule of law operates. So you yeah. have covenants <laughs> and you have uh, you, you have things on dotted lines that tell you in the contract how much you can withdraw, how much you can't. Uh, the energy sector, for for example, is a very interesting space, right? Every six months or so, they have these borrowing base redeterminations, where the amount of credit that's ex- extended to these oil and natural gas producers, for instance, is driven off commodity prices. Commodity prices one month ago, fifty, sixty dollars on the barrel. Commodity prices now, horrible, thirty, thirty dollars. So when you when you the think technical about- definition, <laughs> exactly. price is now horrible. <laughs> And when you go and do the redetermination again, their credit line availability is going to shrink remarkably. So they're going out there and tapping that as much as they can. And the other interesting aspect that we have to think about here is the the thing that people always tell you about credit lines is it's always available till you need it because back in 08, there was the other dynamic where banks were trying to freeze the credit lines, were trying to walk out of contracts and uh, uh, negotiations that they've had with these companies. So it's how much you need it, how much banks are willing to lend when it's sort of attacking you from both sides, then we have a problem.
1: You wrote a story on the Bloomberg that said that two and a half trillion dollars of lines undrawn, that's how much credit companies have to withdraw, or at least it was at the end of last year. It probably is somewhat different now, given how many are actually start to draw them down. Two thirds of that held uh, or extended by the uh, four of the biggest banks, JP Morgan, Citigroup, Bank of America and Wells Fargo. How concerned are people about the ability of these banks and others to make good on these credit lines, extend these loans to companies that could be potentially in perilous positions
5: so let's let 's look at that based on the people who would who would presumably have the best insight into it. The executives of the banks, the analysts covering the banks, the investors sort of invested in these stocks executives at the banks yet Brian Moynihan Michael Corbett sitting next to Donald J Trump yesterday at, in, in the oval well in the white house and talking about how they could help in this time but the, a lot of the questions were also around how strong are banks and one after the other all the senior executives said we're in great shape we're well capitalized perhaps a lot of it does go down to the fact as to what happened after the previous global financial crisis where we put in place a lot of measures that that 10 years later have resulted in people being able to comfortably say that banks are well capitalized, banks are healthy and banks are in a good position. That's what the banks say. That's what a lot of the bank analysts say. We had a note from Citigroup today that said, you know, they have been getting a lot of questions on what happens if everyone starts drawing these credit lines. And they said, even if 100% of the lines were to be drawn, we don't think the impact would be dramatic that you would have to worry about it in in, in any sort of systemic sense. But then it goes back to the discussion we were having off air uh, just before we started, right? Where we spoke to Jim Bianco and he said, he whipped out the crisis era joke about the window washer falling from the 10th floor. When he's going by the third floor, he looks in and says, so far so good. <laughs> That's the problem. We don't know where the bottom is. That's the struggle. We don't know how to model it. And that is why you're seeing this sort of bout right. of panic in the markets out there.
0: All right. Well, the good news is for us, as we know, you're going to continue to follow this story and keep us up to date on kind of where, what floor we're on at the moment. Natarajan, finance reporter, Bloomberg News, uh, joining us here on our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio.